Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. To be honest, I'm going to be very honest, I'm quite nervous about this message because it's an uncomfortable message. It's a message that before it challenges you, it challenges me. And so uh, bear with me, pray for me. And I just, I want to start by, actually, I want to start by doing that, by praying that God's word really is transmitted today, that there will be less of me and more of him so that you can understand his message for your life today. Dear God, thank you that we get to be here, Lord. Thank you that we get to be in this house and we get to worship you in freedom, Lord. I pray that you will speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. That we will understand what you have for us and that we will dare to go deeper. That we will dare to go where you want us to go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to start with a story. And the story begins with a couple that had just gotten together, a couple that is immensely in love. They're in a home that is blissful, in a home that is beautiful. It is like no other. And all of a sudden, they find themselves as refugees, fleeing from the only home they've ever known. Their children are born among suffering, among conflict, among pain. One of their children would be killed, and the other one would be disappeared. And so horror shows no sign of letting up. In fact, their relatives, their distant relatives down the line, find themselves in a similar situation, from border crossing to border crossing, clutching on to their little baby boy, while other children, other babies, are being killed in their sleep. This particular baby boy's life would be spared as a child, but soon, as a young adult, he would be killed under one of the most barbaric military regimes. And images of his persecution, his assassination, would go viral throughout the world. This sounds like a story from war-torn Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan in modern day. But it is a story of a book that is prohibited in more nations than any other book in the world. It's a story of the Bible. And perhaps you hear this story and you think this doesn't quite match the Bible that I've grown up with. This doesn't quite match the Bible that I read every day. If you're like me, you will have grown up in Sunday school, where our Sunday school teachers would summarize the Bible into nice stories of heroes and angels and giants, people that trusted God with all that they were and lived happily ever after. It's a story about a God that loved us and so goes on a rescue mission, sends his only son, a savior, a comforter, a counselor. It's a story about his life, his death, and his resurrection, a story where we all live happily ever after. And though this story that you may have grown up with, this story that you are more accustomed to is true, the previous story that I described is likewise true. If we look at scripture, we see death. We see persecution, we see conflict, we see pain, we see suffering, we see sin. And most Christians, we tend to go at the Bible with an either-or approach. Without even realizing it, most of us choose the happier, the easier version. 
It matches better in our songs. It fits better in our greeting cards. It looks better on our fridge magnets. When you want to encourage someone, you don't use some part of Leviticus. You use what you can find in John and Galatians, in the encouraging bits of the Bible. But what about the angry parts? What about the politically incorrect parts of the Bible? What about the stories of executions and displacement and genocides and depression and stories that unfortunately reflect a lot of our world today, the real world? And so today, as we start this new series, it's called God is Stranger. This new series, we want to look into the bits that we don't highlight. You know, when you have your morning devotionals, when you go to church, you highlight those nice parts that encourage you and motivate you. What about the black and white parts that will never be highlighted? Those are the parts that we want to look into in this series. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And so by choosing not to avoid these parts, we want to dig deeper into a God that is unfathomable. We want to dig deeper into a God that cannot be tamed, that cannot be fully described. You see, many of us avoid those parts of the Bible we don't understand for fear of finding out that maybe we don't quite fully understand God. But today, I want to dare you, and I want to, I want to encourage you that that's okay. It's okay not to fully comprehend God. It's okay to worship a God that doesn't fit in a box. Because too many of us are worshiping a God that we fully agree with and that we fully understand. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has ways that we don't really understand all the time. The God of the Bible is working a bigger picture in your life, is working a bigger picture in our world. We are like a teacup, and he is like Niagara Falls roaring over us. He is so much greater he is so much bigger, and we will find that as we confront these parts of the Bible, we'll have a deeper and more real relationship with God. Too much of the Bible is a no-go zone for Christians. Author and journalist Dennis Covington, he said, Mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. And so it is by confronting these parts, that we want to have a deeper relationship with God. We want to say, we don't fully understand you, God, but we want to wrestle with you. We want to question. We want to ask why and how and where and for what. Our aim in this series is not to explain all the difficult passages in the Bible. If you come to me and give me a theology trivia, I'm sure I will fail you. Our aim is to know God more. And it's interesting that Paul, the first time that he encounters God, as God appears to him on the road to Damascus, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And so while he acknowledges God's deity, he acknowledges that God is Lord, he still asks, Who are you? And it's interesting that as time goes by, as he experiences God's goodness, God's power, God's majesty, as he's used mightily by God, Paul writes in Romans basically the same thing, the same words as when he began. He says in Romans 11, 33, 36, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. 
Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so my prayer is that we too will be okay with admitting that we may not fully know God. Not in an admission of defeat or insecurity, but in a declaration of praise. That our God is bigger, our God is greater than anybody can pin down, than anybody can fully understand. Our God is doing something so amazing. He is a God that is Alpha and Omega. He is the creator of all things. He is working incredible things in your life in ways that you will never understand. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And so today we're going to start with a story that most of us don't read the full story. Or maybe we've read the full story, but we kind of just skip over the second part. We, we focus on the first part, and that's the story of Gideon. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon to answer the question, why does it seem like sometimes God has abandoned us? It seems like God is caring for everybody else, but maybe he forgot about my life. It seems like God is more distant than he is when the Bible clearly says that God will never forsake us, will never abandon us, but sometimes we look around our world and it seems like just the opposite. And so to give you a context to the story of Gideon, basically God uses Moses to free his children from Egypt, and so the people of Israel are now in the desert, but because of their stubbornness, because of their lack of faith, they die as wandering refugees in the middle of the desert. And then God raises up a man named Joshua, and Joshua leads the people into the promised land, into the land where God had promised Abraham, their ancestor, and they're in the promised land. And as soon as Joshua dies, the people fall into rebellion. The people fall into a disorganization and conflict all over again. And so by the time that we get to Gideon, we find that the people of God find themselves as, in, as internally displaced fugitives, hiding in caves and mountains from their enemy, the Midianites. According to UNHCR, about 38 million people can relate to Gideon's situation, fleeing from their homes due to conflict, persecution, poverty. And so God, show up, God shows up to Gideon when he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I don't know much about threshing wheat, but basically, he's trying to find the only food that he can in a wine press, which at the time where you crush grapes, at the time was basically a hole in the ground. This guy's being resourceful. This guy's trying to hide from the Midianites and get the only food that he can, and that's when God shows up to him. So we read in Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So it's important to understand that God encounters Gideon in a mundane activity. God doesn't encounter Gideon when he's at church or when he's praying or when he's deep into Hillsong worship. God encounters Gideon in the middle of his struggle. And he says, 
the Lord is with you. He, so, he shows up to Gideon as a stranger because Gideon doesn't realize straight away that this is God who is speaking to him. And so God allows room for Gideon to question. And Gideon says, oh yeah, the Lord is with me. Well, that sounds pretty sarcastic because where is the Lord? I find myself in the middle of a hole, threshing wheat, running from the Midianites that are out to kill me. Well, where is God? This God that you say has saved my ancestors, this God that parted the Red Sea, this God that brought manna from heaven, I find myself in the middle of a hole. Where is this God? And maybe you come to church sometimes and you can't quite relate to these songs. You can't find 10 reasons to worship God, let alone 10,000 reasons. You can't sing how great is our God because God seems pretty small and distant in your life. And that's where Gideon finds himself at that moment. And so God allows room for Gideon to express his doubts, to express his fears. But instead of answering his questions about his suffering, instead of going into a long explanation, God goes a step further and commissions Gideon to bring freedom and relief to his people. Surely God was unaware of who Gideon was because Gideon proceeds to tell him, listen, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm the least in my family and my tribe is the least in all of Israel and surely you have the wrong guy. You see, sometimes and most times, when God commissions us to do something greater than ourselves, when God commissions you to get out of the hole in your life and to do something greater, to step out in faith, our immediate response is one of insecurity. We see that Sarah, when God tells Sarah she's going to be the mother of a nation, she laughs. When God tells Moses that he's going to free his people, Moses ironically argues with God about how he's no good at arguing. Jeremiah tells God, I'm too young to be your messenger. And, and the stories go on and on. Surely you can remember a time in your life where God asked you to do something and you could think of a million, maybe 10,000 reasons of maybe why you weren't good for the job. But we see in the Bible that it is exactly because of our imperfection that God chooses us. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, we read, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so first of all, before I go any further, I just want to remind you that despite how young you may think you are, despite how old you may think you are, despite how broken you may think you are from the wrong background, with the wrong resources, if God chooses you, it's not about you or what you don't have. It's about who he is and all that he does have. And Gideon is proof of that. And so the next verses in the story and in the book of Judges, Gideon realizes who he's speaking to. And God gives Gideon his first task. Now it's important to know why Israel was suffering as a nation. It's important to know why they're fleeing from the Midianites. And the Bible is clear on the why of their suffering in Judges 6, 7 through 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land I, you live. But you have not listened to me. 
And so we clearly understand that the Israelites are where they're at because of their disobedience, because they had turned away from God. Now, it's important that we don't jump to conclusions when we look at other people. You see, when the disciples are walking past a blind man in the, in the book of John, they ask Jesus, why is this man blind? And Jesus clearly says, it's not because of his sins and it's not because of his parents' sins. It's so that I may be glorified. When we look at Job, we understand that he is not suffering due to his sin. He is suffering because God is doing something greater and bigger in his life that would teach all of us lessons for generations and generations to come. And so when we see people in suffering, we cannot jump to conclusions and blame their sin for where they're at. But in the case of Israel, we know clearly that they are where they're at. They are suffering as a nation. They are fleeing from the hands of the Midianites because they did not listen to God. And so the first task is an important one. God tells Gideon that he must liberate his people spiritually first. The people of God had fallen into idolatry. Gideon's own family had fallen into idolatry, and they were worshiping all sorts of gods. And so God tells Gideon, I want you to go to the idol of Baal that your family has put up, and I want you to destroy it and replace it with an altar to me. Now Gideon is insecure, Gideon is scared, but the truth is that he does it. He goes in the middle of the night and he destroys the altar, and he puts up an altar to God. Not surprisingly, the next morning, he wakes up and all the people find out what happened. They find out who did it and they're out to kill him. But thankfully, Gideon's dad, of all people, he says, no, you know what? If Baal is so powerful, then let him defend himself. Obviously, he couldn't. And so they don't kill Gideon. And you'd think that after this first task, after this first mission, that Gideon will have grown in confidence. He'd grown in faith to God, and he would have been okay with the subsequent tasks. But the truth is, he's just as insecure. He's just as fearful as before. And so when God gives him the next task, Gideon is scared. Gideon asks for a sign. And that's where we see the famous sign. God tells Gideon to go into war. And Gideon says, okay, okay, I'll do it. But first, you need a, I'm going to put out a fleece. And if the fleece is wet and the, dry is, and the ground is dry, then I'll believe that you're with me. And so God is patient. And God does it. And Gideon says, okay, that was really cool. Thanks for doing that. But I'm still a bit scared. So to know that you're with me, I need you to do the opposite. Now the fleece will be dry and the ground will be wet. And so God is patient. And God gives him the sign that he asked for. And here is where the story gets interesting. God proceeds to give Gideon the worst military advice ever. And he obeys. He's up against an army of 135,000 soldiers. An army that is militarily more advanced than his and he simply has 32,000, 32,000 against 135,000. And God says, you know what? Let's reduce that number to 300. 300 is a number that I can work with. And we read in Judges 7, chapter, two, uh, chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So God goes through incredible means to make sure that this battle would be for his glory. God 
reduces his army to 300 men. Now, I don't know if you can picture a movie right now, but imagine soldiers as many as the grains of the sand and you have a mere 300 men. God goes through incredible means so that no one would boast against him, so that no one else would take glory for themselves. God wasn't concerned about who would win the battle. God knew that he would win the battle. God was concerned about who would get the credit. And rightly so, as we will see later on. And so it was nothing more than a few men, clay jars and trumpets, Gideon's army defeats the Midianites. What a great ending to the story. A man who was insecure, a man who wasn't able. God chooses him despite his weakness. God uses him. He reduces his army to improbable odds that would be totally impossible. 300 against 135,000 men, and they win the battle, and to God be the glory, the end. Unfortunately, that is not the end of the story. Maybe in our Sunday school, maybe that's where Gideon would have lived happily ever after, but the Bible is a real book. The Bible is an honest book. The Bible is a book about God, but it is a book about his people that are fallen, that are imperfect. And so unfortunately, the story goes on, and we can learn more from this Gideon, I believe, than maybe the Gideon of the previous part. I can relate more to this Gideon after victory than the Gideon in the struggle, you see, because sometimes it's easier to worship God in the struggle. Sometimes it's easier to come to church on time when you need God to come through for you. Sometimes it's easier to worship him. It's easier to serve him with your gifts when you need him to come through for you. But what about when you've had victory? What about when your pockets are full? What about you're in, when you're in that relationship that you've asked God for? What about when you're on the mountaintop? See, prosperity and humility are not easy friends. And so... Gideon finds himself after the battle, and they've been victorious, and we understand that the end of the story is hard to read. Maybe it's uncomfortable to read, but it helps us understand why sometimes God feels so far away, why sometimes it feels like he's abandoned us when we need him the most. We read that as the men of Gideon's army charged into battle, their rallying cry was a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, Judges chapter 7, verse 20. And though it was common for soldiers to, to shout out their military leader's name, coming from Israel's lips, it doesn't sound quite right. And we read in Judges chapter 8 that the Midianites had killed Gideon's own brothers. And so after winning the battle that God had given him to fight, Gideon begins on this own personal quest for revenge. He starts going from town to town, and he will not rest until he finds the two kings of the, of the Midianites' armies. This is not God's instructions. This is Gideon's own personal quest because they had killed his family. Now he's not angry at God for abandoning them. He's angry at his oppressors. He's angry at the people who had wronged him. And so he goes from town to town, and through a series of events, he ends up torturing, killing, and persecuting Hundreds and thousands of men in those cities. This is the part we skip over because, to be honest, it is quite uncomfortable. To the point where Gideon finds the two kings and he makes his own son kill them. 
But he's too young. He's a child. And because he's scared, he refuses to do it. And so Gideon does it himself, and he kills the two kings. This is a story of a man who goes completely off script, a man who goes completely off track, completely consumed by his own anger. And please bear with me as the story gets a little bit worse. <laughs> the people of Israel ask Gideon, this great military leader now, they ask him, will you rule over us, over us? And your son and your son's sons, will they rule over us? And Gideon actually refuses the offer. Maybe because his own idea was a little bit more tempting. And we read in Judges chapter 8, verse 24 through 27. And he said, I do have one request. That each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his family. So he says, no, I won't rule over you. I'm going to turn down that offer. But all I'm asking is that each of you would give me an earring. Now, a golden earring doesn't sound like a big deal. Then again, neither did people shouting his name as they went into, into war sound like a big deal. But it was a huge deal. Gideon receives over 30 bars of gold. God had gone through extreme lengths to make sure that everyone knew that battle was not to Gideon's credit. Neither was it to any man's credit. It was to God's credit alone. Gideon had no right to ask for payment. But he does. Not only does he do so, but the new millionaire with his ill-earned fortune now buys an ephod. An ephod was a tunic that only the priests would wear, and it was completely made of gold. And not only does he buy that ephod, but he takes it back as a public trophy to Ophrah, the very place where God had given him his first task to destroy the altar of Baal, he goes back to that very place and places the ephod where Israel prostitutes themselves once again in idol worship. He had delivered the people of God from idolatry, and now he leads them right back into it. The story goes full circle. And so why do we read the end of the story? Why do we read the full story, the not-so-pretty part of the story, because I think that we can relate to Gideon. I think that we can relate to the Gideon who was insecure, the Gideon who did not feel like he was up for it. Yes, God can use us. Yes, God wants to use us. Yes, God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he wants to use you beyond your capability, beyond what you think you are worth. But what about when God shows up? What about when he gives you the job you've been asking for? What about when he gives you the spouse you've been praying for? What about when you're no longer in financial need and your bank account is full? What about when everything seems to go right? What about when you have full healing? See, sometimes we're so quick to blame God for abandoning us and we forget to question ourselves and, and ask, have we abandoned him first? God was patient with Gideon. 
God let him have room to express his doubts, to express his insecurities. God was patient with him. He gave him the signs that he wanted. But the moment that Gideon starts to feel a little admiration, the moment that Gideon's ego starts to rise a little bit, the moment that he sees that actually his hands are capable and actually people are following him, he goes completely off script. And how many of us don't do the same thing? How many of us don't abandon God and then blame him for abandoning us? And so today, as I close, I want us to do two things. I want us to have a moment of introspection. I want us to have a moment where we ask ourselves, have we abandoned God? Have we abandoned God not only by our actions, not only by disobeying him, but abandoned God by, by worshiping a God that isn't quite him, by worshiping a God that fits in our boxes because it makes us feel comfortable, because it makes us feel good about our faith. You see, Gideon didn't even realize that he had gone off script. Gideon didn't even realize that he was abandoning God. He had constructed his own image, his own view of who God was, and now that's the faith that he was living. How many of us don't do the same thing day in and day out? We live a faith to a God that is not the full God of the Bible. It's the God of the highlighted parts. It's the God of the feel-good parts. So I want us to have an introspection to, to ask, where have we abandoned God? Where have we put him in a box? And let's dare to go deeper. This message series that we're doing in, this, in, this, uh, in the coming weeks is based on a book that is called God is Stranger. And I really recommend that you read this book. It's by Dr. Krish Kandaya. And it's an incredible book where we will look into the hard parts. And Reuben next week will preach the next message. And we want to see real people. Not people that ended happily ever after, necessarily, sometimes they do. But people who struggled with their ego. People who struggled with their pride. People who were in suffering. People who questioned God. People who went through pain. People like you and me. Because if we're honest, sometimes we want to question. Sometimes we want to ask God, why? Sometimes we don't quite understand. And I, I want to strip away the church faces and I want to be okay with asking those questions because God is bigger. God is greater. God is patient with us. God is good to us. God wants to hear your doubts. God wants to hear your questioning, not in an egotistical manner, not in a manner of rebellion, but in an honest manner as a child asks their father, are you with me? God is so desperate and so eager to reassure you that he is with you. The Bible says, in Psalm 94, 14, the Lord will not abandon his people. He will not desert those who belong to him. The Bible gives us the promise that no matter how it feels, on God's side, he will never abandon. He will never forsake. God wants to come through for you. God is faithful. Are we faithful to him? Are we obedient to him? Let's read the full Bible. Let's ask questions. Let's study, let's explore, let's go into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. I'm going to ask the band to come up.
And I want to learn from Gideon's experience. I want to be faithful in the struggle, and I want to be faithful in the victory. I want to be faithful before the breakthrough and after the breakthrough. I want God to use me mightily beyond what I can imagine. I want to live a, a life of 300 against 135,000, but not so that I may get the glory, but so that others may see God in my life. God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to be exalted and glorified in your life. But he looks straight at the heart, not at the outward appearance. He looks straight at your heart and the attitude of your heart. Are you willing to give him the credit? Are you willing to exalt him day in and day out? So will you stand with me? And be real with God this morning. If there's things you don't understand, be real about it. If there's things you'd like to know, ask him. Be real, have a real conversation with a God that is real. A God that doesn't care about the outward appearance, he cares about the heart. Will we have a real conversation with God and look at the parts in our lives where we have abandoned him possibly where we have pinned him down for our own comfort, our own simplicity. Let's have a real talk with a God that is greater, that is bigger, that is more magnificent, that is stronger, that is powerful. A God that can do anything, anywhere, anytime. God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.